Well, thank God. I'm so glad to be here today and to be with you all again. Um, as Vernon said, I was here uh, this past summer. I feel the need not to spend as much time with my confession as I did last time, but some of you may not have been here when I preached this summer. So I want to just acknowledge that I'm a Baptist preacher. And in my tradition, amen, and in my tradition, I'm used to folks talking back to me. So if I say something that stirs you or you agree with, feel free to say amen. amen. There we go. Wow. Northlanders are fast learners. That is what I've come to learn. Fast learners. If the spirit in you agrees with what I've said, then by all means say amen and it won't slow me down, it won't throw me off, it will encourage me, but more than that, it'll make it feel faster to you. And so there's something to be said for that. So first I do, I want to give honor to God. I'm so glad to have this opportunity to be here again. I give honor to Pastor Joel Hunter um, and the whole leadership team here at Northland. Thank you all for having me. Um, Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll look at what the Lord has to say to us. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence, to lift up holy hands, to magnify you. God, you are so amazing and your love is so amazing. Lord God, I pray that as we, as we hear from you this morning, that you would speak to our hearts and change us, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen us to walk in a way that is pleasing to you. I pray that we would leave this place different than the way we came in, that we would leave better, better equipped to serve you and to honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, 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 amen. We sang a song a few moments ago, uh, the Charles Wesley song, uh, about the amazing love of God. And the truth is, is that his love is amazing. When I look at my own life, when I think back over how God has blessed me in my life, first of all, with wonderful family, with parents that loved the Lord and loved me and took care of me and, and raised me and nurtured me, for aunts and uncles and grandparents and cousins and, and people that surrounded me. God loved me so much. His amazing love toward me was so great that he blessed me in that kind of way. And more than that, when I was wrong, when I was thinking wrong, God's love was amazing enough to correct me to fix me, to turn my life the way it was supposed to go, to turn me around and set me straight. God's love is amazing. And even when I was stubborn and did not want to listen to what God had to say, his love persisted through my stubbornness and still said, Reggie, this is what's right. This is what you are to do. He loved me enough not to give up on me. God closed doors in my life that would have led me to dark places. I was born and raised in Pittsburgh and not in the best of neighborhoods. And there were so many opportunities as I look back that my life could have gone a whole different way. But God protected me from all kinds of evil, whether it was drugs, whether it was violence, whether it was hanging out with the wrong folks, doing the wrong kind of things. God closed doors in my life to protect me. Why? Because he loved me. 
His love is amazing. And not only has God closed doors in my life, but God has opened doors in my life. I don't know about you, but I've got I've doors that have been opened in my life that my credentials were not sufficient to open. There are places I've been in life that I had no business being but for the grace and the love of God in my life. His love is amazing. As the old folks in my church would say, he put food on my table, clothes on my back, blood running warm in my veins, shelter in a place to stay. God's love is amazing. Amen. It's amazing. And what's amazing about it to me, more than the fact that it's just great blessings, is that his love predates my love for him. His love predates my love for him. In other words, before I was even thinking about him, he loved me. Before I ever had a thought to serve him, he loved me. And then when I learned who he was and decided not to follow him, he loved me. His love is amazing. When I was disobedient to my parents and inconsiderate of my friends, he loved me. When I was self-righteous, self-sufficient, self-centered, arrogant, know-it-all, he loved me. In spite of my mess, he loved me. The old hymn says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the water lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Now, if you're honest about it, you know it's not just about me. If you're honest about it, your testimony is probably similar to mine. His love for you predated your righteous and holy life. Before you knew how to act, he loved you. Before you knew anything about him, he loved you. When you went the wrong way, he loved you. His love is amazing. It's Amazing. And I don't know about you, but I appreciate the love of God. Do you appreciate the love of God? Are you grateful for the love of God? Are you grateful that he's done something for you in spite of you? The love of God is absolutely amazing. And when we've experienced it well, we come to fully appreciate, and I don't know about you, but every day his mercies are new to me. And every day I consider what he's done in my life. I'm like, God, you're just amazing. But now here's the deal. This is the irony. God's love toward us predated our love for him. God's love for us predated our holy and righteous life toward him. Here's the irony. We often demand, expect, and require others to get right before we love them. Isn't that ironic? Isn't it ironic that we could fully appreciate and understand and receive and our minds be blown by the love of God? But we often demand expect, require our love to be earned. 
got quiet. Oh yeah, so if, you don't, if, you, if your spirit doesn't want to say amen because you're not sure you want to make me actually think that you liked what I said, you can just say, ow, man. <laughs> like, that's okay too. <laughs> the truth is, is that we often use love like a weapon. We withhold love sometimes from someone to get our way. Now maybe no one in the room, maybe, maybe this ain't none of y'all. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever withheld love from someone to get our way. We said, if you do it my way, then I'll love you. If you say it the way I want you to say it, then I'll love you. <laughs> We've often used love as an award to be won or a prize to be claimed. Now, don't get me wrong, like, I get it. It can be hard to love someone when they don't do right by you. Like, if you have a spouse who puts their other friends or their parents in front of you, it can be hard to love them. If you have a boss that does not mean you well, and you know that boss is trying to get you fired, I know it can be hard to love them. If you have a friend who somewhere along the line, they said something or you said something or they didn't do something or you didn't do something and now all of a sudden you haven't talked to them in six or seven months, no, is it more like six or seven years and I'm really not interested in talking. I, I know we used to have a relationship, but nah, I'm okay never speaking to them Again, I know relationships can get messy and can get difficult and can make it hard to love. But what's crazy is that that attitude of withholding love, that notion of not giving love and instead treating it like an award or a prize to be claimed, that attitude betrays what we know about the love of God. The love of God is what transformed us. When we were out of our minds, when we weren't acting right, what was it that brought us to the Lord? His love. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. First John chapter three, verse one. It's right there on the, on the screens for us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Well, how, what, how great was that love? that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are children of God. Now, how did that happen? How did we become children of God? Now, watch this. We are called children of God. 
not just called it, but in fact are. In other words, it's not just a title that we've been given. It's not just that God decided to name us that, but really we're still the same old us. No, he says, we've been called the children of God and that is what we are. So we've in fact been changed. I, at one point in my life was not a child of God. His love transformed me and now I am a child of God. The difference between then and now is the love of God. It is God's love that transformed me. Our identity has been changed. We're a part of a new family. We're part of the family of God. We're children of God. Our heritage has changed. We have a new family story. And get this, the change is real. When I look at my life before I knew the Lord and I look at my life now, there's really a change. We're not just talking about something that may or may not have changed. No, there's really a change. My walk is different. In other words, the way I live my life is different. The way I speak to people is different. The way I work is different. Because God has changed me. And how did he change me? He loved me. He loved me and that love changed me. It is this great love by the Father that has been lavished on us that brings about the change. He has changed me. Let's take a look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Not St. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, but instead 1 John 3, 16. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is. Check this out. The writer of 1 John understood that some folks, and often us, we don't know what love is. <laughs> so he says, this is how we know what love is. In case you have a wrong understanding of love, this is how we know what love is. We're going to talk more about that verse in a moment, but I want, to, I want us to, to think about this idea that the fact is, is that we often have a bad definition of love. One of the biggest problems in our society is that we have a poor definition of love. Our society's definition of love would be something like this, getting and giving pleasure. If someone says, I need you to love me, in our society, you could translate that to, I need you to give me pleasure. I need you to love me. Or if someone says, I'm going to love you, what they're saying is, I'm going to give you pleasure. Or if someone says, you need to love yourself, they're saying, you need to give yourself pleasure. Like, that's the definition of love according to our society, getting and giving Pleasure, that's what love is by definition of our society. And as believers, we know that that's not right. We know that, that that's not right. When we hear these love songs or see these move, quote unquote love songs or see these movies or watch television programs of what's supposed to be love, we look at that and we can tell that that ain't right. Like that's not love, right? I mean, we, we know that. 
The truth is that our definition of love as believers is often not that bad, but it's not robust enough. Here's our weak definition. A weak definition of love that a believer might have is doing good to others and treating them as if they are perfect, ignoring the truth that they are not. Doing good to others and treating them as if they are perfect, ignoring the truth that they are not. So if someone says, oh man, I got this terrible situation with my, with my boss or a bad situation with my spouse or a bad situation with my child, and someone says, well, you know what? You just gotta love them. This is one of my, my favorite dynamics is when a grandparent says to a parent, believers, grandparent says to the parent about the child, says, well, honey, you know, you weren't always right either. You just gotta love them through that. Grandma says, you just gotta love him through that. I know he's acting a fool and I know he's acting a mess. You gotta love him through that. And what grandma means is you need to do good to him and, and ignore all that ridiculousness and just keep loving on him. Keep loving on him. Just keep, keep pouring it out. Just keep doing good to him. And that's not a terrible idea, but it's not a robust definition of love. Why? Because that definition of love leaves no room for discipline. And scripture tells us that those who God loves, he disciplines. So doing good to others, ignoring that they have anything wrong with them, would not require discipline. If you are perfect, I don't need to discipline you. But that's often the way we treat love. It's this idea that you're perfect, you're really not, but I'm going to, I'm going to ignore the fact that you're not. And I'm gonna treat you like you are, and I'm gonna do all these good things for you, and I'm gonna hope that one day you wake up and realize how ridiculous you've been on your own. That's often our definition, a weak Christian definition of love. Seriously, it's also problematic because that definition of love leaves people in abusive relationships. That definition of love that we often tell people is what causes a woman who's being beaten to say, I need to stay. Because what we say to her is, you just gotta love him. And she knows that loving him is not necessarily getting or giving pleasure, but she thinks that it means I do good to him and ignore that he's not perfect or ignore the fact that he's got issues. And so as a church, as the church, we've often struggled helping people in those situations because we feel at odds with our advice to them, to her, to him. We say to her, honey, I know you gotta love him, but you also, but, but you also gotta get out of there. Cause you gotta take care of yourself. You gotta take care of your kids. You gotta love yourself. You gotta love your kids. And I know you gotta love him, but we need a definition of love that does not require a but. We need a definition of love that can speak to a woman who's being abused and saying you can love him and not stay and it be loving. So let me give us a working definition of an unconditional godly love. This definition is gonna come up on screen for us. It is 
not just based on this text that we're looking at today, but it's really based on the revelation of this kind of love in Scripture as a whole. So unconditional godly love, diligently seeking the greatest good of another without expectation of being repaid. Diligently seeking the greatest good of another without expectation of being repaid. Now, diligently seeking the greatest good of an abuser is to remove yourself from their abuse because it's not in their best interest to abuse you. Amen? Amen. If you want to do right by a person who's doing wrong, remove that thing that is presenting an opportunity for them to do wrong. You do not need to enable bad behavior. That is not love. And the reason why codependency is so strong, particularly among believers, is because our notion of love is weak. We need a strong notion of love that says, I am diligently, I'm doing my best to seek your greatest good. And if seeking your greatest good is to turn you in, I'm going to turn you in. Because that's what's in your best interest. It's to stop doing what you're doing. Because you're living outside of the will of God. You're living in, in, a, in a bold way against God's purpose for your life. And that's not good for you. So I am diligently seeking your greatest good without expectation of being repaid. Now, that's the, that's the important part to, to make sure we throw in there. Because sometimes we can diligently seek the greatest good of another person, but what we're expecting in return is for them to do something for us. It's like, I went out of my way to help you. Now it's your turn to help me. Well, that's weak. That's weak because that's not a godly kind of love. It is a love instead, this unconditional godly love says, I'm going to do my best to seek your greatest good, regardless of what your reaction is. Which, by the way, frees you in so many ways. When I understand that your reaction is not the purpose of my act, in other words, how you react is not, is not why I'm doing the thing I'm doing, you getting upset with me is okay. Guess why? Because I wasn't doing it to make you happy. If you decide to turn your back on me, that's okay. I wasn't doing it so you stay in relationship with me. I was doing it for your greatest good. And if that ultimately means that our relationship is broken, I love you enough to give you up for your own sake. That's a strong definition of love. And that kind of love is what God is calling us to. And more than that, that's the kind of love that changed me. It's the kind of love that changed you. That kind of love that God has given. This diligently seeking the greatest good of another without expectation of being repaid. There are folks who, will, who have not come to love the Lord and unfortunately will go to their grave not loving the Lord, but God still showers his love on them. And he knows they won't come to him. He knows before he even begins to shower love on them that they will not repay him. But in spite of that, he still loves them. He sends his rain and sun on the just and the unjust, Scripture tells us. 
God's love is not given expecting to be repaid. The truth of the matter is I couldn't repay him. I could not, I don't have enough money in my bank account. I don't have enough strength in my bodies. I don't have enough hallelujahs in my voice to repay him for what he's done for me. So when God gives me his love, when God showers and lavishes his love on me, he's not doing it expecting to be repaid because I couldn't afford it. God's love is given to us without expectation of being repaid. So now let's look at these verses again. First John chapter three, verses 16, and we'll end up going all the way through 19. Because the question becomes, what is, it that, what is it that we need to understand about this love so that we can be people who use love to transform others? Like that becomes the question because our understanding of love is often weak. So what do we need to know about love? And 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19 give us a few things that we need to know. First thing is that says in verse 16, we've already read, this is how we know what love is. How do we know? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Stay right there for a moment. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so what do we learn? We learn that love, this kind of love, requires and even demands a sacrifice. Love is going to cost you something. If you feel like you're in a loving relationship and it's not costing you anything, I would invite you to reevaluate if you're really loving. Because love costs you something. It's gonna cost you energy, it's gonna cost you effort, it's gonna cost you thinking about stuff and being intentional and trying to figure out, Lord, what is really in this person's best interest? It's gonna cost you time and prayer to pray to the Lord. God, you help me to understand how I need to love them. Love is going to cost you something. And even more significantly, it's, it's that it costs you something, not that you'll be paid for it. You're the one doing the paying. So you're going to pay in time, energy, effort, spiritual, spiritual vigor. It's going to cost you something. Not only that, but what we see here is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Love initiates and doesn't react. Love is an initiative not a reaction. Look at how love worked for God. For God so loved the world that he gave. Now, often our approach to love is we so love people because they did. Someone didn't follow me. A husband comes home to his wife with a bouquet of flowers. He walks in the door. She says, honey, thank you. I love you so much. That expression of love, whether it's genuine or not genuine is not the issue. But the way that we use love is a reaction to a nice thing being done to us. 
We love because you treated me well. A child is outside washing the car for their father without being prompted. The dad comes outside and sees what happens. Oh, son, I love you for that. Love is a reaction to something being done the way we use it. But godly, unconditional love takes initiative and does not wait for the nice thing to be done to initiate this loving action, this diligently seeking the greatest good for the other. Love is an initiative, not a reaction. Amen. Amen. Jesus says to us that there is no greater love than one to lay down his life for a friend. It got me wondering, when I hear that verse, I've heard it many times, I got to wondering about it. Like, why is that, that measure of love considered to be the greatest love? There is no greater love, Jesus says, than for a, for a man to lay down his life for his friends. And even more than just wondering why that's such a great love, I, I wondered, isn't there really a greater love? Like, wouldn't it be even greater if a man laid down his life for his enemies, which is what Jesus did for us? So I was wondering, like, why would Jesus, I know Jesus is right, because of course he's right, it's Jesus, he can't be wrong. What is, it that, what is it that he's saying by saying for a man to lay down his life for his friends? And what the Lord showed me is that it's not whether it's his friends or enemy, it's that he laid down his life. Why is that the greatest measure of love? Because if you lay down your life, you cannot be repaid. If you lay down your life, you're not doing it to get anything back because you can't get anything back because you laid down your life. The truth of the matter is, is that there are moments in our lives where we need to be laying down our life, not physically, not to give up our heartbeat necessarily, but when we need to say, this is, I'm done with this. Like, I'm laying down, I'm laying down this subject. I'm laying it down. If you react or don't react to it, it will make no, no effect on me because I've laid down my life on this subject. I've given that up. I'm not going to argue with you about this at all because I've given that up. For a man to lay down his life is to say, I have given up any hope of being repaid any expectation of being repaid. I've given that up. Let's move on to the next verse. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So not only does love demand a sacrifice, but love responds to the needs of others. Love is not manipulative. Love is not manipulative. Amen. Verse 17 shows us that the, the loving response has to do with the need of the other, not my own need. I'm not loving you to fulfill my own need. I'm not loving you hoping that you will turn around then and fulfill my need. That's manipulation. Love is focused on the need of the other and responding to that need. And we've said a lot about that already, so let's, let's move forward. Verses 18 and 19 are, will bring us to our last points. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 
This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. <laughs> Verse 19 again, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. So love demands a sacrifice. Love responds to the needs of others. But get this, love brings assurance of my salvation. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. You know, I appreciate this topic of love in large part because I think growing up, all of us would have to say that there's no more Christian attribute than love. If you said, what is an attribute that Christians ought to have or that God has toward Christians? We would say love. I mean, Jesus himself said, people will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. In other words, love is the defining characteristic of who we are as believers. So we need to love well because nothing is more Christian than to love. This verse says to us that it brings assurance of our faith or of our hope or that we belong to God. That when we love in this way, it brings assurance that we belong to him. Why? Because there's nothing more Christian than to love. I've really appreciated the last several weeks that we've been here uh, worshiping with you all, hearing Pastor Joel preach. He's made the point several times that Christianity is not a behavior modification program. In other words, Christianity is not about you reaching deep down and deciding, I'm going to be a good person now. I'm going to start doing things right now. I'm going to dig down deep and with, from the deepest part of me, I'm going to be a good person. That is not what Christianity is. Christianity is, this, is instead this idea, the good news, that God has come into my life and has changed who I am. <laughs> that God has changed me. How? Through his love, he transformed me. And did what? He placed his spirit within me. And when I do something that is right, it is the Spirit of God operating through me. It is not me being reaching down deep and having enough willpower to do right. It's that I really allow God's Spirit to work and live through me. And so when I love in this kind of unconditional godly way, it brings assurance that I belong to the family of God. You know why? Because it's not in me to do that. Unless I belonged to God, I would not be able to love the unlovable. Unless I belonged to God, I would not love those who are trying to get me fired. I wouldn't be able to love those who put their parents before me. I wouldn't be able to love those who disrespect me. Unless I belonged to God and the Spirit of God was operating in my life, I wouldn't be able to do that. So when I do operate that way, it says to me, I know that I belong to God. I know that he is in my heart. I know that I am really part of his family. Amen. When I was growing up in Pittsburgh, I was the youngest, I still am, the youngest of seven children. My mother and father are, were great. My father passed away a number of years ago, but my parents were God-fearing, God-loving people. They loved us well. I've got no drama to talk about in terms of the way I was raised. I've got no complaints, not a single one. I really am serious about that. I really appreciate all that I received from my parents growing up. 
When I was growing up, my father worked night shift at the post office. He would wake up at 10 o'clock at night. He would leave for work around 10, 15. He'd get there at 11. He'd work from 11 to 7. When he got home around 7, 30, 8 o'clock, I was going to school. When I got home from school, he was sleeping, getting ready to go to work. Sometimes I'd make his lunch. So at 10 o'clock when he woke up, I'd have made his lunch. And, but that, that was what I felt like was the, the sum total of my contact with my father. He's a great man of God, loved me. I knew he loved me, took care of me, all those things. But we did not spend a lot of time together. And I really had a, I wouldn't call it quite a complex, but I really did wonder, like, am I very much like my father? Because I know that I am the person I am today to a large degree because of who my mother is. I was a mama's boy. I love my mother. Um, she, she raised me well. And when I look back over my life when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, and I look back, reflected on my life, I could see so much that my mother had poured into me. But I really didn't see a lot that my dad had poured into me. But I was sure that I was his. I just never really felt that kind of connection. After my dad passed away some years later, my wife and I got married. And I was calling my mom about something having to do with our relationship, our relationship with my wife. And my mom said to me, you are just like your dad. That is exactly what your dad would do. Now, she wasn't meaning it like a compliment. She was, she was, she was trying to help me, uh, help me understand that, you know, maybe I was, wasn't being quite right. But, but what she was saying was, like, that attitude, I mean, and it's a peculiar attitude that I had. Like, that attitude, that is John White. That, that is your father. Now, even though my mom was using it as a way to kind of correct me, it not only corrected me, but it also gave me a connection to my dad that I never really had before. I started to know for sure that I really was his. And I had a connection to my father and to the rest of my family that I didn't have before. Now, I knew I was part of the family. I was the youngest of seven. I knew who my brothers and sisters were. But without that connection to my father, knowing that I was really like him, I always felt like I was missing something. That they had the benefit of having my mom and my dad pour into their lives, and I really didn't have that benefit. But as I talked to my mom more and more about various things, she was like, oh, no, yeah, that's, that's your dad. That, that right there, oh, you do that? That's what your dad would do. She helped me to understand that my work ethic was my father's work ethic. That the way that I wanted my wife to work or not work was my father's attitude about my wife working or not working. <laughs> All those kinds of things. The way that I raised my kids was my father's way of raising kids. Now, it happened. It was amazing because I didn't realize it was happening. But more than that, I was connected to my family in a way I had never been connected before. If you want to feel like you belong to God, I dare you to let him love someone through you. And you'll know that it's him doing it when it's a person that has no business receiving love. When it's a person that you would say to yourself, in your right mind you'd say, man, I don't want to have anything to do with you. But there's something inside of you, the Spirit of God saying to you, I want you to do better. I want you to do right to them. I want you to love them. I want you to, to benefit them. I would say yield to that, and you will never feel like you're more part of the family of God than you ever have. You will come to know the connection that you have with the power of God. And if God can use you to love someone in that way, 
He can use you to do just about anything, can't he? Like when we get out of our own way and let our, put our pride down and say, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do in spite of the fact of the way I, way I feel about it, God will operate in our lives in ways we never thought. And what does it do? This change that has happened in my life, this transformation that's happened in my life would then become duplicated at the end. I've, I've been changed to love. Now I love the way God wants me to love. And now I know that I really belong to him. And I'm encouraged in my walk. So loving well, loving well helps me to come to a place where I follow the Lord in a way that I never followed him before. And I come to know the spirit of God in a way I've never known the spirit before. I yield to him and I love him. I love him and I love you well. Amen? Amen. 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 Let me pray for us and seal this with the Lord. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord God, that you have given us this opportunity to serve you well, to love others as you've loved us. I pray, God, that you would move by your spirit in our hearts and in our minds. That you would move, Lord God, in such a way that we would be compelled to love and to, to do it without expectation of being repaid, but knowing that you have the power to change lives and that by loving people in the way you love us, lives will be changed. I pray, Lord God, that we would walk in that kind of way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.